0: You have a Bible, copy of God's Word, please turn to James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you're here with us today, you don't have a Bible, you're in luck. We have it on the screen for you. and You can follow right along there. Um, this, today, we're going to talk about James's exhortation, his encouragement, his command, really, to the church to tame their tongue. Now, I want you to know something. It is a severely dangerous thing to have to preach on taming your tongue, and try to live that out, because I want you to know something. This week has been um, been it's been a struggle, man. The struggle is real. And, you know, we wrestle not—Paul would tell us this—spiritual warfare is real. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the air. And so there's a spiritual nature to our conflicts, and there's a spiritual nature to the things we go through. And I want you to know something— I have not been the best at taming my tongue this week, and if you want to know that, you just ask my wife, okay, or you can ask my son. I spent most of this week uh, repenting before them and the Lord, okay, just, just like that, you know, life is you're not feeling 100%, which I don't think anybody is because the plague has descended from, from somewhere onto this area, I guess it's just February and March in middle Tennessee and you're just feeling kind of rough. So you're feeling rough and then all all of a sudden you got a lot of stuff going on. Anybody feel me? Anybody feeling rough and have a lot going on? There you go, thank you very much. I wanna make sure you're alive out there. got a lot going on, you're not feeling it and then somebody just does something that it's not not their fault. You just get that agitation, you know what I mean? You know what comes out? Sarcasm, biting sarcasm, a little bit of a short comment. Say it's something you don't really mean, but you say it anyway, and then you're kind of, where did that come from? I'll tell you what, man, I've sent my son to pieces and sent my wife to get a meat cleaver, I think, almost, okay? No, she did not want to stab me or anything, but I don't think, maybe. Pray for her, all right? (laughs) I spent most of this week repenting. It's amazing because James tells us about how difficult it is to tame the tongue. I want you to know something. In James 1, if you're new with us, we've been walking through the book of James verse by verse, James 1, 26 and 27, which kind of, he outlines the book for us before we get to the section we'll be in today. In James 3, he says this, if anyone thinks he is religious, religious meaning that you follow God by, like you believe in Jesus and you, you work that out in your actions. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Whoa. You claim to be a follower of Jesus, but your speech does not match up with your profession. You're deceiving yourself, and you're not practicing right religion. It's worthless religion. And he goes on, and he's going to expound on that point, which he brought up in James chapter 1 in James chapter 3. And so today, we're going to look at this. We're going to see a caution, a warning, and an exhortation to us to tame our tongue. And this is dangerous business. This is spiritual in nature. It's not just that I, I didn't drop that word or I didn't use the sarcasm. This has direct ramifications on your standing before a holy God. It has, it has relational impact on you. And so we get to James chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a, strict, with a greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they would obey us, they guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Going on, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is some very vivid imagery. Going on to verse 7, he says this, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be. Does a spring spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. First section of this, we have a caution to teachers, and here it is. Verse 1 and 2 says, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers. This is exactly what I showed you today in my confession to you before that I had to repent and confess. It is difficult to be a teacher for many reasons. First off, you have to come to the Word. You have to hear from God, you know, put all the time in to to get it right. But also, you're going to be judged, as it says here, with a stricter judgment, So it's so funny that today I am telling and talking to you about the need to tame the tongue, and I have the same problem as you do. But see, I'm supposed to be the one teaching you. Therefore, I'm the one who's held more accountable than you are. You get that? And that's scary. And he says this. There's a caution, okay? Now, you know what caution is. It doesn't mean stop. He says not many of you should be, but some of you are like going, whoo, I dodged a bullet there. There are some of you in here that God is calling you to be teachers and start that process. Your life's got to start matching up with what you believe in your head. You got to get past that place where you're comfortable because the Lord's calling you to take a step that way. So some of you, this is not for you to go, whoo, I dodged a bullet there because it's difficult. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean God doesn't call you to do it. In fact, a lot of times God calls you to do it because it's difficult to show how great he is in that time. So not many, here's the caution. Caution means pump the brakes. Caution means stop and wait and think about it. Consider it. Consider the dangers, but also consider if you should do it or not. And so James says, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers. So he's talking to these people. He calls them his brothers in Christ, even the ladies. That's an important point. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a, stricter, with a greater strictness. I'm held way more accountable, and our, your elders are held, well, held much more accountable than you are for what we teach because we are trying to influence people's faith and point them towards Jesus. If we get off in any manner, we can hurt someone's faith. We have great, so pray for us and when you consider this as well that you might be called to be a teacher but this is not a small calling to teach God's word. So think about that. Verse 2 it says this. We all and here's the reason why it gives the reason why people should be cautious about being a teacher, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I love the book of James because here's where he, is what happens. He gets he he, he has an idea, and it goes from idea to idea, 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 very rapidly. It's almost like an ADD he has, where his, this, the thought pattern associations happen so quickly. It's, you've seen it a lot in, in, in the first chapter of the book. And so he goes and he's following his train of thought. And he says, not many of you should be, now. pump the brakes, be cautious. Not many of you should be teachers because you're going to be judged with a stricter judgment. And why is this important? Because we all stumble in many different ways. The Bible is very clear. You're not perfect. Even the most holy of us in this room stumble in many ways, especially as James would go on, especially with our speech. And he says, you need to be cautious is cautious a teacher because your teaching, has to, your lifestyle has to at least be striving to, to, to be in conformity with what you're teaching and preaching. I'm not saying completely, okay, because we're preaching a holy God and we're not holy, but at least your lifestyle has to be trajectory. The point of it has to be towards holiness and towards, towards a lifestyle that would back up what we say we believe and what we speak to people as belief. And so there's caution to teachers, and the reason there's caution is because we all stumble in many ways, especially when it comes to the tongue. And it says this, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. If you don't stumble with what you say, you are complete. You have arrived. You have gotten to this place where you have reached a level of holiness. So here's the thing. You're honest with yourself. You ain't perfect. You may, you may have put on the airs to walk in the building today thinking that you needed to show up and be perfect, okay? Thinking that you had to have the family in order, okay? Thinking that you didn't yell at the kids on the way here, okay? Thinking you didn't give your spouse that sarcastic look or speech or, yeah, get in the car, woman, okay? Thinking that you didn't do that. Thinking, what you you want to put on the airs that everything's fine and good, and I want you to know this. The Bible says you stumble in many ways, and if you can... Not stumble in your speech, you're perfect. We all stumble in many ways, and we are not perfect. Also, this, it says, if he's a perfect man, and that if you are able to, to keep your mouth in order and not to stumble in it, it says you also can bridle or control your whole body. See, here's willpower begins with mouth power, if you will. If you have power over your speaking and you have power over your body so the caution begins here with teachers and so this is the caution many of you are being called to teach somewhere because as we grow and as we develop and as the spirit moves in you we're going to need people to help lead small groups we're going to need people to help teach children we're going to need people who want to teach the word of god and who at least strive are striving to obey god's word they all stumble in many ways and, and so there there's needs to be some of us that aspire to that and want to do that within the bi- confines and binds of Scripture. But we need to be careful, and I want to give you this caution. If you're called to that, you, are, you have to be on a trajectory where you're trying to put away sin, including sins of your mouth. Now, now some of you may be thinking, well, I, I can control my mouth. I just put it on Facebook afterwards. I make those rants. It's the same thing, okay? FYI, all right? Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's anonymous, especially when your your face is next to your comment, right? So be cautious. That's, leaders have to be cautious in so many ways. I want you to know this. We have to be held accountable. This is for you to know. This is preaching about. This is an odd thing that we have to do in the Bible. that I have to preach to you about me. And I'm preaching to some of you who will be teachers. let be cautious that there's a stricter judgment. And we all stumble in speaking, and teachers can stumble in speaking as well. There needs to be accountability. And some of you need to seek out to be teachers, even though it is difficult. There's the caution. And I want to go on, and I think James does, in, his, in the way he associates thought with the warning about the tongue. begins in verse 3 with the warnings. He says this. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So it gives us this first illustration of a horse to move a horse around. I don't know much about horses, but I've seen enough movies to understand this you put a, a bit in a horse's mouth. And I can understand that because if you put a bit in my mouth and you pulled it one way or the other, that is the way I would go. First off, it'd be a whole weird thing if you had that happening. But if you put something like this, I would imagine it moves you. But the bit in relationship to how big the horse is is quite small, right? That's his point. If we put a, bit in a a giant horse's mouth and move it to the left or to the right, it will move with us. And then, so that's the point. And then he goes on in verse four and he gives us another point. It says this, look at a ship also. Now, we're not talking, you know, dinky sailboat here, okay? Think about a ship. Look at a ship also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so we have the idea, the second thing is about a, a, a horse and a bit and how that little small bit in the mouth of the horse can move it, direct the whole giant muscular animal around the same way. In, in, in regards to a ship, the rudder is a very small part of the ship in, in aspect to the actual ship itself, but that little rudder can direct the course of the ship. And then he finally finishes out his point that he is so vividly describing in verse 5. He says, This so also the tongue is a small member, it is small but it boasts great things. And so here is the, war- the first warning that you need to know about the tongue. Why it's dangerous because the tongue is small, but it's powerful. That's the point he's trying to make here with the, with the image of the horse and the image of the ship. The tongue is powerful. It's, it's powerful, and it can, it's so powerful in fact it can direct the course of your entire life. If you don't believe me, Go today or tomorrow, go to your office, and tell your boss what you really think of him or her. Just, just let it all hang out. Okay? Tell me that won't direct the course of your life. Tell me that won't result in maybe a pink slip or maybe a jail sentence. I don't know. Know where your heart is. Keep speaking harshly to your spouse or child. See where that relationship will go if you just get on it for about a month. See how that's going to work out for you. If you don't think that will direct the course of your relationship and life, you have another thing coming. Think about this. Keep gossiping about your friends behind their back. And see how that's going to work out for you if you're going to keep those friends and you're going to stay a popular person. The tongue is small, but... It can direct, it has power to do so many things. It can even direct the whole course of your life by what you say. One word spoken in anger to a boss can ruin a career. Many, the compounding of many harsh words to a spouse or a child can reap so much damage. Gossip and backbiting and making false accusations can ruin someone's life. It can change your course drastically. The tongue is small, as James would say, but it boasts great things. The tongue is dangerous because it is small but is powerful. Think about the way, the way oration and speaking can move men's hearts. And think about the way that speaking can, can wound a man or a woman. It is small, small part of your body but it can do big things. Going on following his train of thought in verse 5, he goes on and talks about the tongue as being a fire and so we need to see this that the tongue is not also small but powerful, so we need to be warned. It's also destructive. In verse 5 it says that so is the tongue, a small member, yet it boasts a great thing. And in verse 5 he says this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Immediately, we think about this. You think about a small forest fire. Does not begin with a giant fire. Usually, usually begins with a spark or a lit cigarette out the car window, or maybe just a little tiny fire that gets out of hand. Now we know a lot about that up in Tennessee. When we think about the Smoky Mountain fires that just recently happened. A small fire, and that just how much devastation was was brought to this state by someone seemingly careless, mean act of a small fire creating this big, huge problem. I have seen the destructive power. And then he goes on, he says this, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So he describes the tongue as this fire that when it gets out of control can set ablaze and it can do all sorts of damage. We had, uh, early in our marriage, Amy and I had a house fire in a house we lived in in Panama City. If you want to ask us after the service, we can give you details that will make you laugh. Usually fires aren't funny, but there's some funny things that happened because nobody died. And If you want to have a good story, come on later. Here's not the time, but find us after. We'll tell you about it, okay? But we we, we it only burned up our bathroom, okay? <sighs> Never mind. You got it anyway. A lot laugh. Okay, burned up the bathroom. Scared everybody to death. We were seconds away really from that fire getting out of hand. Thankfully, the, the fire department showed up and took care of that. Well, you can imagine just, just a little bit of fire in our house, just a small bit caused great damage. First off, we smelled like barbecue for a month. Like, not just a little, not a faint barbecue aroma. It's like we've been sleeping in a smoker. All of our clothes, my guitar, my, my, my computer, everything we had, our dog even smelled like barbecue. People walk in, and we walk into school or class or a church, people are like... Somebody, somebody been slow smoking a pig? Like, that's us. We burnt the house down, okay? And we smelled like that. And you also think about the water damage that was caused by that fire. to even put it out. The fire displaced us for about two months. We smelled awful. We had to have people, a company come in and clean up the house. You get this, a small fire can create great damage, and James compares the tongue something small that can create a great blaze of destruction. And he goes on to talk about it in verse 6. He says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Our tongues and our mouth can unleash a torrent of sinful and unrighteous things. He goes on to describe it in such vivid language. He says the tongue is set among our members. It's one part of our body is one way to put that and it stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Whoa. That is some strong words that our very language can set on fire our entire way of life, and it's itself set on fire by hell. Now, you get this is symbolism, right? metaphor and simile, Now your tongue is actually not on fire. Just like when you say liar, liar, pants on fire, usually that person's pants are not on fire, usually. What this really is getting at is the tongue has such a destructive power like fire, and it, can, it un, so much unrighteousness can come out in our speech you want to get examples of that, just turn on the television and go to a reality TV show or watch Dr. Phil with that Kashmir outside girl, okay? There is just a world of unrighteousness that flows, a steady turret of obscenities, a steady turret of unrighteousness that can come out of our mouths, and it is destructive in nature. And I'll give you one example from a personal one. Judson was just being a kid, and I was kind of stressed out. I was trying to answer three text messages. I was trying to be on the phone, and he's trying to tell me about a spider web in our house. I do not care, but he's my son. And I spoke harshly to him. I was like, I even told him, I said, like, I don't care. And Amy looked at me, and she was like, Whoa. It was like, it's like, tongue on fire is what she should have yelled at me. And I heard that kid's little heart. Earlier in the week, I had said one other thing to him that as a joke even. And He took it the wrong way. He went two pieces. You know, I had to do right then and there. Well, actually, it took me about five minutes to calm down because then she called me out on. I was like, well, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. So, remember the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, right? So, after I calmed down for a few minutes and realized how sinful I was, I'm I asked for forgiveness from Jesus, and then I had to go ask for forgiveness from my wife, and then I had to get on my knees and talk to my son, look him square in the eye, and told him that daddy had sinned. against I told him that I needed Jesus' forgiveness, and I need your forgiveness, because I always care about what you have to say. I know we need to, there's correction about interrupting a dog. I get that me to tell him that I do not care is not modeling a God, what, how God is to us. So I just, I, I had to get on my knees and say that, but Israel, I broke that kid's heart in just a second. And that's just one of many examples of how the tongue can be a destructive fire, and it is filled with unrighteousness, and it, is, it can set on fire your entire way of life, and it itself is set on fire by hell. goes on in verse 7 and 8. He talks, he gives us a warning about the tongue because the tongue is untamable. Verse 7 and 8, keeping with his train of thought, he says this, for every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil so he goes with these, just, just, these pictures are so vivid and so illustrative of his point. And he gets to this point. He says, think about what mankind has done in taming some of the most wild, gigantic beasts of all time. At the first year on, uh, on New Year's Eve, we went to SeaWorld in Orlando. And we saw Shamu and the other killer whales jump up and respond and work with trainers to do a show those things are just massive and they blow a whistle and they the guy was riding it and the dolphins another show the dolphins were going nuts and seals and sea lions and it was just fantastic all of those big creatures have been tamed and taught to perform pretty impressive you think about other places where people have trained elephants to do things especially at a circus if you've ever been to the circus, you've probably seen the elephant walking on the little ball. I can't walk on the little ball, but they trained an elephant to walk on a little ball. They trained an elephant to do all these different things. An elephant is gigantic. You think about this, how mankind, and that is James's point, has tamed all sorts of wild animals. Many of you have spent countless hours over the last few weeks watching a giraffe attempt to give birth on the Internet. Y'all are crazy, by the way. I love you, but you're nuts. My wife is part of that group. I walk into my house and she keeps watching on the television a giraffe in the birthing process. I'm like, what is wrong with you? She's like, it's special. We tame that thing, okay? We're giving birth on camera. That's weird. Straight weird. But it follows, it keeps in line with the point here that all sorts of reptiles and birds and things mankind has tamed. In fact, if you go to Florida and hang out with some of probably our relatives, you've seen a man put his head inside of an alligator's mouth while it's open. They do that in Florida. probably explains a lot about us being from there. All sorts of animals, reptiles, birds have been tamed by mankind, and James acknowledges that, but he says there is this untamable force. And it says this, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The Bible, you're struggling with your language and your speech and what you say. Note this, the Bible understands that you do and recognizes that it is this relentless, untamable force, and that it is so difficult to control your tongue. And then it goes on, and it calls it a restless evil, continual evil. And then then it talks about it in the end of verse 8 as a full of deadly poison. Think of a poisonous snake. One of my greatest fears in life is to be bit by a poisonous snake. I hate snakes. And the thought of being bit by a snake in general— is not fun but the thought of being bit by a rattlesnake or a water moccasin that freaks me out and the idea here is that the tongue is like it's being compared to a venomous snake the tongue can spew venom now just so you know that James is in keeping with the Bible and with, with, with Jesus' teaching and that we see his teachings kind of the way they connect with the rest of it. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, those people. In Matthew chapter 12, he's talking to the Pharisees, those who opposed him on religious grounds. And this is what he says in Matthew 12, 33 through 37. We have it on the screen there. He talk, he's talking to them. They're opposing him, and he says to these people, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And then he goes on this. He calls them, you brood of vipers, you bunch of poisonous snakes. That's not cuddly Jesus, by the way. That's not precious moments, Jesus, right there. That's not the Jesus that we like to cuddle up with, but that is the Jesus of the Bible and the true Jesus. He speaks to the religious and says, You thinking bunch of snakes. And then he goes on and explains that how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Let me just let me just hit this to you again. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Do you know why your tongue is so hard to tame? Cuz your heart and my heart is so rotten to the core. It is rotten apart from the transformative power of Jesus Christ. We are an open tomb of death. Our hearts, our mouths speak what is in our hearts, which is so scary. The anger, the backbiting, the pride, the lust, the jealousy is expressed in our words and the coarse jesting and the sarcastic comment. It is a picture of our hearts. This, this wretched tomb filled with death. And Jesus would, would just show these men and tell them straight up that their heart is full of death, full of sin and unrighteousness. And that is why our words are so filled with venom is because we, at our core, left to our own devices, are filled with venom. Now praise be to God, he does not leave us in that condition. Going on as Paul, as James goes on, he would say in verse 9. He talks about the paradox of the tongue. And remember, he's writing to believers and he talks now there's a paradox. It used to be venom, only venom, and now a paradox ensues. Verse 9. With it, we bless, talking about the tongue, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Do you get the paradox here? We just, in fact, we just sang a bunch of really cool songs. One of which is, it's your breath in our lungs, and we pour out our praise to you only. We sing things like, come thou fountain of every blessing, to my heart to sing your praise. We sing these big anthems about how great God is but let me tell you you know what could happen 30 minutes after we leave here your husband or wife could tick you off and a torrent of badness would come out you could stub your toe step on a lego which are set like made in hell I think because they're so sharp and you could let a torrent of this obscenity and evil out and He said, how can this be? With, with, it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people made in His own likeness and image. Maybe, just maybe, you're getting in the car today and talk about how somebody acted or somebody dressed or da-da-da-da-da, and you could go and praise God, and then the next moment, curse people made in His image. You might have to drive to Nashville, and you definitely will probably curse someone as you're driving. goes on in verse 10, for out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. If you are a believer, you understand this, that there is this paradox of which we can have this heights of praise and the lowness of the things that could come out of my mouth. And then in his beauty, in, the, in, the, in this, this, this great act of love, James comes to us and he says, my brothers, he's been talking harshly, he's been throwing down on us, throwing down on his readers. He says, my brothers, This ought not to be so. We should not. uh, We should not have both the holy and profane come out of us. We, the call is to tame our tongue. The call is to put away the things of the past, to walk in the newness of life that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ as believers in him, and no longer be controlled by our tongue, and to have that, that cesspool of our heart be pumped out by the work of the Spirit, and so now our hearts would have good things coming out of them. And he goes on to point out that this should not be so. By giving us verse 11 and 12, he points out again, this should not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? We know that. A spring either puts, puts out one or the other. And most of the time a spring, it puts out fresh water, not salt. That's not, not compatible. Just like our, our lips as believers should not have blessings and cursing coming out of it. Going on, he says, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Fig trees bear what? Figs. Olive trees bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs. No, grapevines. What do they produce? It's not real hard. Grapes. And he makes his point. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Because of this, I want you to know something. In Jesus, we come to faith in Him, and that's why James calls us His brothers. When we come to Him, He makes us new he begins the process of transforming us. We're no longer being conformed to the pattern of this world. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind and the cleansing of our heart through the Word and through this work of the Spirit. And so here's, here, is the, here is the message for you today. It's not just to recognize, oh yeah, the tongue is bad, and yeah, I know how I've sinned with my tongue, and I know how I struggle with this. I know how. That is not, it's not just to point out that the tongue is dangerous. The point is this, if you are in Christ— you must fight and work. Get your, you're supposed to be men and women at work to tame your tongue. Now, I know how you're rolling, especially if you're a little bit cynical. First off, I want to prove a point to you. We need to first off work on taming our tongue. Yes, God is sovereign and he works, but all he calls us to resolve and to work as well. In James 1.26, I want to remind you of this verse. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. First off, God calls us to tame our tongue. We don't tame our tongue as believers. We're showing that our faith is worthless. We do not possess saving faith. But it's not even in the process that you're taming it. That is the case. Secondly, many of you are saying, now, didn't you just, didn't you just read to me in verse 8 that the tongue is untamable?" And then he gave us this big, grand image about how all sorts of animals, great and large and small and, and complex and reptiles and birds and whales and alligators and, and tigers and lions, tigers and bears, oh my, and all those different things, they can be tamed, but the tongue cannot be tamed. And you're telling us... And I'm doing it from verse 10 because he says, my brothers, these things ought not be. Blessing and cursing, filthiness should not come out of our mouth. You're telling me that the tongue can't be tamed, but you're calling me to tame the tongue. Yes. First off, because the Bible does. Secondly, just because perfection is not attainable does not mean that progress cannot be made. Let me just say that again. Just because perfection is unattainable does not mean that progress can't be made. You maybe heard this old adage, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. It's a little cheesy. I'll put it this way. Let's say you've got summer coming up and you want that beach bod, okay? So you get P90X and you decide that you're going to eat, like, protein, and make yourself miserable. OK, that's pretty much like, I'm not going to have a car forever, OK? I'm going to try to look good. So you P90 exit, OK? And the next day, you can barely walk, and you hobble in. What's wrong? It's like, I got hit by a car. Because you don't want to tell anybody that you're you know, trying to to do this. I think I'm resonating. I'm hearing some uh, I'm hearing some laughter there. And so you may be going for the perfect beach bod, an eight pack ab, or whatever. You might not attain that very likely you won't because food is delicious okay <laughs> but the trial in it you might drop 10 15 pounds and be healthier for it and so would it be worthless to to, to try of course not because in it we we are following the Lord's example when we try to tame our tongue. We're we're following after what he's told us to do. He will be with us in those times. We will learn more about him, and we will experience his grace when we fall and we have to come and confess our sins, and we will experience his love and redemption through it, and we will Praise be to God, our language will be brought, and our words that we say will be brought into more submission to Him, and there will be change that takes place because of that, and that can't be underestimated. Just because you might not ever get it under control doesn't mean you need to try. So some of you have already written this off, like, that's just me. I just let people know what I think. If that's the case, there is sin all in your life. It's not okay. But that's just me. I know your heart's an open cesspool. You need it pumped by the Spirit of God. You're a septic system. You gotta call a roto-rooter man. It's the Spirit of God, just, okay, getting that stuff out of there. You hear me? I'm not. This is I, this is biblical language. They clean the deadness out of there. And. Finally, I'd like to make this point by using a good old-fashioned meme, if you would. <laughs> that is the golden girls. I am te- I am inviting you to do something that the Bible says in verse 8 is completely and utterly impossible by yourself. But empowered by the Holy Spirit and with resolve to obey him out of obedience, and love for Jesus. You are not alone in your fight. You have the Spirit of God. And by the way, am I making no theological statement by that being B. Arthur, okay? I just did not, okay? just want you to get that. (laughs) This is funny. And it's the Holy Ghost saying, be quiet! And putting his hand there and saying, your heart's open cesspool, I'm working with you. You resolve to follow me and to tame your tongue, and I am here to help you and empower you to to obey me. That is the beauty of Jesus. It's the beauty of the Spirit of God that he meets us at our point. He gives us the inclination and the desire to want to follow him, the desire to want to have our tongues tamed. And then as we resolve and work to do it, He empowers us and works in and through our resolve. And he works in those times. He works in our will to make us able to obey. So here's a practical one. The next time something ugly comes into your mouth, first off, don't say it. But I said it in my heart. Stop it coming out. And usually what will happen is you will start caring about what's inside. stop here. And it's that one act of obedience that leads to the Spirit working in you more to root out that sinful cause. Secondly, here is this. The world is not looking for believers to be perfect. In fact, it quite rejoices when we're not perfect. But I want you to know something. It is our imperfections that shows the perfection and grace of our God. And so you know it should be on, we should not try to necessarily hide our failures and sins. I'm not telling you to broadcast your junk, okay, on on everything, all right? Don't put, let me tell you what I struggle with on Facebook. We need to block you probably, okay? Because your hearts are probably, you know, they're probably dead. I mean, they're dead, okay? They need some help. No, but I'm saying is when you do sin, you do mess up on the job. You do let your coworker have it or you do say it to your family, you do, you do that unloving thing, or you do say a word of gossip, or you do this, you will freak people out and show the grace of Jesus if you, in an unbackhanded manner, ask for forgiveness. And say, I sinned against you and against God, and I apologized to him and sought his forgiveness, and I have received it because of the shed blood of Jesus, and you may not say it that way, you may put it in your own words, that I ask you for forgiveness, too, because I not only did I sin against God, I sinned against you. And your coworker will look at you like you've got 75 heads. But also, there will be something so lovely about that weirdness. It will be aroma of Christ. Praise be to God. He is perfect. Us and his righteousness is imputed to us, and he calls us to holiness through the power of his spirit. And we can do the impossible empowered by the spirit of God, and we can tame our tongues. So, journey church, let us enter into obedience to Jesus, and let us go and fight this good fight, knowing what's at stake, and knowing that the hour is urgent, and knowing that the grace of Jesus needs to be seen in our lives. It's spoken and and, and modeled the whole. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. Your love endures forever. You meet us in our point of weakness, and you give grace upon grace through Jesus Christ. God, we need your grace. We need the Spirit's work in our life to tame the tongue. We cannot do it alone. But God, we understand and we acknowledge that our tongues are filled with unrighteousness and filthiness. We turn from that in faith. And pray for the Spirit's enabling for us to put to death the works of evil. So help us, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have something special today. Kiddos are coming in. Don't worry about that. Savannah, are you here? Come on. This is Savannah Cantrell. And um, she has come. Um, You've talked with a lot of different people over this. She's been... She's been um, talking about what it means to know Jesus Christ, and she has given her life to Jesus. She has trusted in his grace. And she has talked about and she understands that baptism is a symbol. She's talked with uh, one of our children's ministry leaders, Miss Rosie. She's talked with Katie Lynn, who was recently baptized. And most recently, we got to talk together. She understands the gospel. She's believing in Christ and his finished work to save her from her sins. Am I right about that? She shook her head yes in case she didn't see that. And she comes today understanding that this is a symbol of what Christ has done for her. And she wants to express and to really preach to you this morning that Jesus has saved her, that his death was for her, and that she has trusted that for a new life. And boy, I tell you what, just getting talking with her, the Lord has moved in this girl's life. So she's proclaiming this to you, and I want you to pray for her as she follows Jesus. So is it your, is it, Savannah, is it your desire to be baptized and, and share your faith with all of these church members today? It is. She, she nodded her head again, okay? We'll count that as a yes, all right? We're going to get yes. Amen. We're going to get you in here, and that's cold, okay? But <laughs> it's all good. And we're going to baptize you, so come on in. We're going to do it real quick. Come on and have a seat on that right there. Yeah, I know. I know. We're going to do it quick. Quickly sit down. Yeah, Savannah, as my sister in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Help you out and get warm. Amen.